Benyam Gourmet. What a win that was. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Vela News Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Delaney, here in sunny Belgium with Sive O'Shea. Hello. Sive, Sive, we've got a few things to get to today. We want to talk Gantway. We want to talk Tour Flanders. We want to talk Benyam. But first, we've got some some hard-hitting news to dig into. Cello news. Cello news, Cello yeah. news. I don't know if you've heard, but we're changing the name of our publication because I can't <laughs> type properly. We now work for Cello News. So musical musical requests, musical inquiries, send them our way. We won't be able to answer them because we know nothing about music, but we'll try. But just just the, the slip up of one letter while, while typing a story uh, prompted a tweet from yourself and uh, a whole flood of... Uh, responses came in. Yeah. As far as uh, well, okay. If you're going to be cello news, let's let's riff on that with some some writer names. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that um, social media is perfect for. It's one of the reasons that I like social media outside of you know the fireball that it is. So there can um, be positive things with social media. Yeah, there occasionally once Hallelujah. in a blue moon. I know, I know. Not just Sometimes vitriol and spite and hate and yeah. Yeah, so comedy. I, I, got I, can, a, I can get behind this. Yeah, I got a lot of messages today with bike rider musical related tweets, like names. It was all right. It was a good day. All right, let's let's hear some of the top ones. Okay, through. so I mean, there was straight out of the bat, there was a VT Music. That's that's just a normal. That's her name. So that wasn't changed. Sure, she's just a musical rider. Um, one of my favorites. Elisa Bongo Borghini. Bongo Borghini. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I enjoyed that one. This one took Ben a little while to, to catch on to. I'm slow. Uh, Trumpeter Sagan. <laughs> now it's funny. Like I said, yeah. I got hung up. I heard Trump and my brain just went a different direction. Yeah. I don't know. Trumpeter Sagan. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it's just the way I deliver them. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I need to work on my stand-up routine. Uh, Edvald Bassoonhagen. Wow. <laughs> uh, Flutie Mackay. Uh huh. Uh huh. And last but not least, Cello Bilbao. Cello. He is going to be our masthead figure for Cello News. For the new Cello News. Yeah, watch it. Watch for it on newsstands uh, everywhere soon. Cello News. What one sweet sound to any writer is the, the sound of their name being called first. And uh, Biniam Germay had many a firsts this weekend, winning. Gentwevelgum becoming the first Eritrean rider, the first African rider to win any major cycling race, any any classic. That was huge. He's a he's a very interesting, very likable guy, and it's funny to hear him speak about you know how he feels about the mantle that's been laid on him. You know, it's a big symbolic win. Do you think he's comfortable being a symbol, or is he just a normal guy that likes to win races? Uh, I would say, yeah, he's a, a normal guy that likes to win races. He's quite kind of a shy, unassuming guy. I think he's sort of accepted his fate that that's, you know, he's going to have to kind of carry this mantle for a, a little while at least. Um, but it's not really what he wants. I mean, he said he had a press conference yesterday, Monday, at you know, the day after his victory in Gent-Vevelgum and there's quite a, quite a few members of the press, but he said even when he's at home, where he's already a, a bit of a superstar after his uh, silver medal at the Worlds last year, um, even then, you know, he kind of shies away from the cameras and he just, he really doesn't like that kind of 
yeah, as you said, being in front of the cameras, being that famous guy, kind of, you know, saying yeah, hello to everybody. But he has really become that, um, and particularly in the last couple of weeks. But since since that that world's performance, you know, as I said in the in the story that I wrote about him, Grimai Fever is, you know, is building um not only in Eritrea, but in Belgium. And in the kind of the wider cycling world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important to note that second at Worlds was the U23 Worlds. The guy is just 21. He'll be turning 22 here April 2nd. So, yeah, it's been a rapid rising going from uh, second in U23s to, you know, this year he was 12th at Milan San Remo. He was fifth just on Friday at uh, E3. Uh, And then for those of you who didn't see it, first of all, stop this podcast. Go watch the highlights. Now, welcome back. If you didn't watch the highlights, uh, Gideon made it into Binium. Go what I'm saying, Gideon. Excuse me. Binium made it into the critical four-man move uh, yeah. and then played his cards perfectly uh, to open up a sprint into a headwind when the, the chase group was just bearing down on them. And you know, we saw Christophe Laporte was yeah, arguably got nervous and went a little too soon. Um, kind of let it out, Benyamin opened up and held it to the line. Yeah, it was incredible. I was a bit worried that even Gramai had gone too early watching watching that sprint and watching him sort of get closed down then a little bit by by Laporte. But yeah, it was perfect. I think it was watching that sprint. We were, we were in a, a mix zone, um, which is where we get to interview the riders after after the race. It's kind of this long it's not always the same, but this time it was this long tent with, um, they had televisions that we could watch the the finish on and the kind of the sense of almost excitement watching it. And yeah, I think people could kind of sense that something big was about to, to happen. Um, and I think what makes it even more kind of astonishing, I guess, is the fact that he hasn't ridden any of these races before he didn't even ride a recon like the team didn't want to put the pressure on him you know these were you know test races they wanted to see how how he did and they didn't want to pile the pressure of like right we're going to do a recon you need to get all of this in in your mind they just kind of went into it so he sort of didn't have any idea of what was coming for him but he had um ake of his beak the the team director sportive who's uh, looking after the classics for the team this year um, basically just talking into his ear. So he said, you know, if Aker says go left, I go left. If Aker says go right, I go right. So he had him in his, like, talking in his ear all the time. Vizbeek used to work for Biombo Visma. He's a very experienced um, DS, knows what he's talking about. And, um, yeah, so he kind of guided him through. And he obviously had guys like Adrian Petit, who's done, like, he's been a pro for well over 10 years, done countless um, classics. And he's got Alexander Kristoff as well, who's sort of almost taken him under his wing. The team have kind of talking about how they're kind of developing a, like a friendship, a good relationship. And Kristoff, you know, who's sort of in the latter stages of his career, um, may still win a few things here and there, but, you know, his kind of prolific winning days are kind of, over really so he's taking Gramayne like kind of guiding him so having people like that in his corner has obviously helped and perhaps not knowing what was ahead of him in the course has sort of alleviated some of the pressure and allowed him to do kind of what he's done this year 
Yeah, it was so interesting because so many teams will, I don't want to say obsessive, but there's there's traditional ways to do these traditional races and doing a recon ride is certainly part of that, even for riders who have grown up riding these roads and know every inch and every corner and, okay, if the wind changes here, I need to be moving up right before this spot. So that's such a completely different approach. But yeah, I'll just I'll just listen to what uh, what my director says in the moment. And yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said about the, um, you know, the energy of youth and kind of that lack of fear that you get when you're younger as well. You know, as you mentioned, he's only 21. If you want to feel really old, he was born in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me sick. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's a certain kind of freedom that being, being that young and having that lack of experience can give you. Yeah. You mentioned Gurmai fever growing uh, not just in his home country of Eritrea, but here in Belgium. And one question we heard, I must have heard at least five or six times, whether it was on sports, uh, television or you know, in the press conferences or just people grabbing him right after. He was so, you're going to stay for Tour of Flanders, right? Like you're, you're, you said you were going home, but you're, you're going to stay, right? And, and his answer was? No, just straight no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got to have respect for that. Like, yes. yeah. you know, it he made me laugh. They they changed his plans so that he would do Gent Vavelgum. He was supposed to be racing in France, but they ultimately didn't change how long he was spending in Europe. You yeah. know, he was always going to race on Sunday. They just changed the country that he was racing in. And um, yeah, so it's, yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for the fact that he's kind of holding on to to what he'd planned to do. He's got a wife, he's got a little kid. You know, he's quite conscious of the fact that, you know, she's been looking after their child like on her own for the last three months. And, you know, cyclists are real people too. And they've got family lives and, you know, other commitments um, that, you know, they've got to attend to. And yeah. So he's going home. And, and I think ultimately that's, you know, the, the best thing for him. You know, they don't want to have a homesick rider on their on their hands sure sure and yeah and home is you know in addition to uh spending quality time with his young family is some good altitude training uh asmar is you know 2400 meters that's like 7800 feet or so so he'll be, go back there spend a few weeks like four weeks there then be coming back to europe and uh you know giro d'italia will be the next big target yeah so he's going to come back to europe in may or the end of April, uh, he'll going to ride in Frankfurt and then he'll start the, the Giro d'Italia where I think expectations are going to be quite high of what he can achieve. His, he said that his goal is to, just to win a stage, but you know, if, if he can match the form that he's had, um, in over this spring, then, you know, perhaps a points jersey is like within his grasp. I think that would be, I mean, that would be a huge achievement as well. Sure. I mean, it was a lot of fun to watch uh, him win and get away with him. I'm certainly be looking forward to watching him race in the Giro. Next up for us, for Velenu's fans, bike racing fans, the uh, Tour of Flanders, little bike race going on here in Belgium Sunday. Who are you expecting to see there on the, the podium? Let's start with the women and then we'll, we'll jump over to the men. Now we're Readers were here in the uh, hotel of uh, movie star, movie star, as Andy Hood likes to say. Where um, Sai was just speaking to one Annemiek van Vluten. So I'm 
guessing she might be uh, somewhere in your predictions as a I think she might athlete. factor in the race yeah I don't think I have an inkling I don't know if you've heard about her, this Annemiek van Vluten but she's she's all right yes I think she's I mean she, well she's the defending champion she's been up at altitude for the last three weeks in Tenerife um she told me that yeah she she would have loved to race more in in March but the the format of the races in the last few weeks haven't really suited her between Binda, Dupana, um, and then Get Vevagum, they're all kind of lean slightly more towards the kind of sprinter type races and she needs something a little bit tougher to kind of, yeah, drop drop the sprinters and kind of hopefully at least get into a very small group or even alone. Um, so yeah, she's going to be a massive, massive favourite. She's won almost everything that she's ridden so far this year. The only time she's lost is Strada Bianchi when she was beaten by Lotta Kopecky. Um, and when we talked about Gramai fever, now there is Kopecky fever 100% in Belgium at the moment. Um, her performances over the last kind of year or so have just sort of elevated her to towards this kind of growing star status. You know, women's cycling has long kind of been seen as like the, yeah, I mean, not even the second fiddle, like the fifth fiddle um in Belgium over like behind the men's cycling and some other sports like soccer. Um but yeah, the so much love out there for for Kopecky at the moment. I, at the finish of Depana there was like little kids chanting her name at the finish, which I mean, in my years of following women's bike racing, you know, that's been quite rare that people will watch the bike racing, but they often didn't really know who they were watching. But the fact that they're you know, those fans of specific riders there at races is is incredible. So yeah, Kopecky will be a, a big contender. That whole SD Works team have got, you know, a lot of chances of of taking the win. They've got Chantel Vandenbroek Black, who's a former winner. They've obviously got Anna van der Breggen, who's a former winner in the team car. Mm-hmm. So she's going to be hoping to to get one of her her riders on the podium. Over at Trek, we've got Elisa Balsamo, who's in amazing form at the moment. Um she won Trofeo Alfredo Binder, which, as I said, it's a more sprintery type race, but it's still a lot of climbs. Um, it can be quite tough for for a sprinter, but she won that um, in kind of emphatic fashion. She beat Lorena Vibis at Depana uh, last week. And then... She beat everybody. Yep. She survived the like hugely aggressive finish to um, Ken Fevelgum on Sunday and beat Mariana Voss in the sprint finish. Not many people can beat Mariana Voss, but she's done it twice now in the last few months because she also beat her to win the rainbow stripe back in Leuven in last September. So there, that's three riders who I think will be really fighting up at the the forefront. There's, yeah, you've got people like Cassie Niodama as well. Um, Elisa Longo Borghini, you know, it's, I think it's going to be an incredible race. I think there's going to be a lot of riders getting up there in the mix and obviously Mariana Voss can um, never rule her out yeah you can never rule Mariana Voss out uh, she's Mariana Voss yeah. <laughs> um, and then over in the men's race um, obviously we've not got Biniam Gramai so he won't be there um, Wout Van Aert is still a huge huge contender he obviously showed in E3 that he was in flying form um, it's a well known stat now that you know I think it's over maybe 20 years, maybe more than that, that a rider has finished outside of the top 10 at E3 and won 
uh, Tour of Flanders. So I think if you want to figure out who's going to win Flanders, look at the top 10 of E3. Hmm. I think the only kind of outlier in that respect will be um, obviously Mathieu van der Poel, who's kind of taken a slightly more circuitous route towards the this part of the classics because he's been recovering from his back injuries. So he might break that um, run, but that's only because, you know, he didn't race E3 rather than he was in poor form at E3. He was off winning at Coppia Bartali. Mm-hmm. He finished on the podium at Milan San Remo, which like blows my mind that that was his first race back after like several months of hardly doing anything. Um, and then, yeah, finished on the podium at San Remo. So he's obviously in incredible form and yeah, he'd be really gunning to to take that win on, on Sunday. Sure, yeah, the Van Art Vanderpool rivalry is always Clash of the Titans, one that uh, bike fans are eager to see anywhere, but uh, on the cobbled bergs of Flanders. Yeah, and Quick Step better. will be really keen to kind of get things back on track. Quick they've, Step who? I know. it's uh, They're a small team from Belgium. Um, they haven't really done much this well, that's, year. That's why I joke, obviously, like for, for yeah. years and years, yeah, Quick Step owned everything in the spring. Um, yeah, and, it's and now they're a, a ghost of their former selves. It's like, been a disappointing spring for them. Um, you know, the only kind of shining light really has been um, Fabio Jakobsen's win at Kerner Brussels Kerner, but he's not really the kind of the heart of their kind of classics team. Um, an important note to make is that Eve Lampart returned at the weekend, which is you know he's going to he's a little bit kind of. Having had a, a big break, he's he's not he's a little bit down on power, but he's still a very good rider to have back in the team. Um, I think I saw that Tim de Klerk, big old tractor Tim, is back in the team for Trasdorf Landeren, and so should hopefully also be racing at the weekend. And having kind of these two very key big engines in the team should hopefully help them out. But they've been missing that spark um, that they usually have, and Jumbo Visma has sort of been. They're almost like they've been the quick step this year in the way yeah. that they've oh, been yeah. racing. So, Wout van Aert, Matthew Vanderpool, two huge names on the for your podium picks. Give me a give me a third name. Oh, um, so I'm going to go with a quick step rider. Yeah. No, I'm not actually. I'm going to change that. Wait for it. Wait for it. I'm going to go with Tadej Pogacar. Ah, I've heard of this guy. There we go. Yeah. Um, I almost forgot that he was racing. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tadej Pogacar, obviously coming in, he's going to race Tvarsor of Landerin as a bit of a, a warm-up, then he's going to ride Tour of Flanders on Sunday. Um, and yeah, it's great to see, you know, a Tour de France winner. You know, we we had, um, we've had kind of Tour contenders at the race in the past. Um, and it's always great to see these sort of Grand Tour riders having a, a punt on the pavé, um, I think, I mean, Tour of Flanders is not easy. It's definitely the easier option out of uh, Flanders and Roubaix just because sure. the cobbles at Flanders compared to Roubaix are almost, you know, like a marble floor. It's like they're much nicer. Um, but still, you know, Flanders is a very difficult race and the, yeah, you know, tight, windy roads, difficult climbs. Bogachar won't be able to kind of get out of the saddle as he might do on a, you know, a big alpine climb. Um, but he's shown that he's a dab hand at pretty much anything that he does. Yeah, yeah. You would not pigeonhole the guy as a classics rider, but he, by the same token, he is. you couldn't pigeonhole him as just a GC guy. 
who can climb and time trial and then just sit in the bunch like as he showed at Strada Bianca. It's he wanted to go off and attack and smash and attack and smash. He did. And get granted the smooth gravel roads of Strada Bianca are not the the cobble climbs of Flanders, but um his bike handling skills are not in question at this point. Yeah. And I think in in the same kind of vein as Gramaya, there's that um sort of confidence of youth, you know, he doesn't have any fear. Of, you know, he's not um scared of having a go at something. He just likes to do something. You know, he likes to have a go. A bit you know, a bit like guys like Van der Poel and um Van Art, you know, they're like Van der Poel attacking uh, um Torreno Adriatico last year because he kind of got bored. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I think he like attacked with like his food still like stuck in his mouth, like a little chipmunk, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's amazing to see guys like that coming in and having a go and just not being afraid to see what happens. Yes. We'll, be, we'll eagerly await to see what happens. We're watching the the forecast for Sunday. It's been bouncing all over the place, but it seems like participation, participation, Participation is a given. <laughs> yeah. Precipitation is uh, quite likely, and there's even been some snowflakes popping up, at least on my iPhone app for for Sunday. We'll we'll see if that proves true. But uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be cold and and cold is a given. So, and and great action will be guaranteed. So oh, for sure, watch the race if you're able to, and then certainly check out all of our full coverage. We've got the crew here on the ground. We'll be covering the races start to finish and following up for, for days afterwards. So be sure to check that out. Saif, thank you as always. Thank you for having me. For your insights. And and now, readers, we're going to jump over and talk bike tech with Raf Wittenberg, who is a mechanic with uh, the Women's World Tour team, Human Powered Health. Raf is a enthusiast cyclist himself and has been working on bikes for multiple teams such as Albus and Phoenix. Um, so he's got a good sense of what works for pro teams and what works for riders like you and me and uh, what uh, when to know the difference of, of when you should copy what the pros are doing and when you should do your own thing. So we're going to speak with Raf now. But here with Raf Wittenberg outside lovely Udenard, Belgium, on a sunny day. We're going to talk about bikes. This man is a professional mechanic, been working on race bikes for professionals for many years, now working on the women's world tour team, Human Powered Health. Roth, there are some similarities between what professionals should do with their their bikes and uh, what everyday riders like myself and our listeners should do with their bikes. And sometimes things are different, like power washing bikes, maybe not something that everyday riders should do, but sometimes has to happen for professionals just for, for, uh, time's sake at races. So like, what are some basic things that, that all bike riders should do for their bikes, regardless of their status? Uh, first of all, I would make sure your bike is clean at all times, depending of course, of the, of the weather conditions you're riding it. If the weather is pretty crappy, then of course, clean your bike immediately afterwards. Don't let it hang around for a couple of days. So everything, it's more sticky and rusty um, but most of all uh, most important is um, your drivetrain um, just make sure your drivetrain is clean and efficient efficient bike is also a clean bike clean bike is also an efficient bike um, so that's what you're going to notice uh, the most about power washing I wouldn't recommend everyone doing it every now and then it's okay um, but if you don't want to replace bearings and etc all the time, replace grease, 
Um, I would do it only a couple, couple of times if it's really necessary. Uh, and otherwise, just take a, take a hose, take a sponge, a bucket of water, um, and do like a quick clean after every ride. And then every now and then, just take your time, take the wheels out, clean your bike properly. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I recommend most of the people. And then, of course, for a professional team, if you're a cyclist, a competitive cyclist, um, we always, after every race, after every, almost after every training ride, we, uh, we take the wheels out. We, we do like a deep clean, a proper clean of the bike, um, get some new grease, some new lubricant on, some polish to make the bike, uh, to make the bike nice and shiny. Um, that's, I think, the biggest difference between a professional cyclist uh, of the bike of a professional cyclist and the bike of a, of a regular cyclist. And what do you recommend as far as one cleaning products to clean the drivetrain and then two for lube or wax? Like what's your, what are your go-to solutions? Um, yeah, we of course are sponsored by finish line. So we use the products of finish line. Um, and during the races, we always use, uh, just normal lubricant. Um, but if you're at home and you want to take less, yeah, less care of your uh, drivetrain, etc., I would definitely recommend wax. It stays on much longer and it's, it's way better for your drivetrain, uh, over a long time. Um, but yeah, as I said before, we clean the bikes after every ride, so then it doesn't really matter. And then the the oil is just a little bit, little bit smoother mm-hmm. to uh, to use for the riders. And wax is nice, just so you don't get your hands greasy as yeah. often. <laughs> yeah. Now, so many parts of the bikes now are the same from a professional bike to what a consumer can buy and use. You know, not too long ago there was a pretty wide split. Like t- professionals always on tubulars. You know, amateurs you never use a tubular like a in a daily basis and now uh you know tubeless and even clinchers are becoming more common what's your recommendation there i see like some of the bikes are set up as tubeless what what do you set up for your team and what do you ride yourself um at this moment we are riding tubulars um, but from the moment we can we will change to tubeless um i think the what i always say is and that's the advantage of, of tubeless tires what i always say is like if you can't if you can finish a race you can also win a race <laughs> so if you get a, if you get a puncture sure. and you can't finish a race you don't have a chance to win the race anymore so and i think with tubeless tires that's a big advantage um tubulars of course they are very simple and very nice to ride on um but yeah you can get punctures more easily um now you're a rider yourself what do you have on your own bike most days I'm riding tubeless. Yeah. I'm riding tubeless all the time. Um, but it's it's for most of the people. It's just a peace in mind if you go out and you know, basically, if, if nothing really bad happens to you, you don't get any punctures. You just take one spare inner tube with you and, and a pump. And you can basically, yeah, go on, go on, go on a ride every day without worrying too much about it. Yeah, it's a nice thing for sure. One piece that i noticed on shimano bikes that is still different pro bikes to amateur bikes is the direct mount um, we're looking at sram bikes here but you know most of the almost all the shimano bikes that are here in belgium world tour races have you know teams mechanics have replaced the the softer derailleur hanger with a direct mount for better shifting it's a stiffer system it seems like that might not be the best solution for an amateur rider to copy because Part of why that derailleur hanger is there is if you crash, it, it bends and the frame doesn't break. Whereas if you've got a, a solid piece there, 
uh, it's either the derailleur is going to go or the frame is going to go, which is it's fine if you got you know, bike two and three and four on the team car behind you, but for the rest of us, maybe not the best. What are your what what are your thoughts on that? Like, for instance, what do you have on your bike, the the standard derailleur hanger, or do you have like a direct mount setup? On my bike, I have a, a standard derailleur hanger, but it's definitely true. Like the direct mount ones, they are stiffer, so they improve shifting performance. Um, but then again, for the normal rider who doesn't want to replace his derailleur of, or frame um, after every crash, I wouldn't recommend it because it can be uh, quite expensive, especially with uh, the electronic gears right now. Um, but yeah, again, as a, as a pro team, um, we have to make sure like everything is at the maximum level, shifting performance is at the highest standard. And if you're lucky enough to replace all the parts, if you have all the parts, then it's not a big problem. Um, but for normal normal cyclists, I wouldn't recommend doing something like this. It's uh, with a standard derailleur hangers, the shifting performance is still still pretty good. Sure. So for sure. Yeah, most of us aren't sprinting at fifteen hundred watts out of out of corners. <laughs> That's true. So keep the bike as is. Keep your drivetrain cleaned and lubed. Ride tubeless. Have a good time. Definitely have a good time. Make your bike nice and shiny. The eye also wants something. So uh, <laughs> a nice bike is a is a fun bike to ride. Fun bike to ride to ride is just also a fast bike to ride. So perfect. Couldn't say it better myself. Thanks so much, <laughs> Ralph. You're welcome. And that will do it for this week, folks. Thank you very much for joining the Velo News podcast, and a special thanks to Raf for not only joining the podcast but helping my sorry butt out with a bicycle. I brought a test bike over here to do the Flanders Sportif, which I love to do. I've done eight or nine years now, and I managed to break the bike in transit. Dang it. Uh, the frame cracked on the plane ride over. Uh, so Roth took on his day off uh, a team bike out of the truck and cobbled it together for me, and so I've had a bike to ride for the week. So Many thanks, Roff. You're a gentleman and a scholar, and I appreciate you. That will do it for us this week, folks. Thank you for listening to the Venomous Podcast, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye.